Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Uh, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. Today is uh, Sunday, November 29th. It's uh, the end of Thanksgiving weekend. So yeah. Had a nice, nice Thanksgiving, a nice turkey and all that. The last show in November. Don and I uh, did not plan to both wear kind of uh, <laughs> olive drab green, but, uh, you know, we can color coordinate the show whenever we want. Uh, welcome. This is a live show produced by the Atheist Community of Austin out of Austin, Texas. We're live every Sunday from uh, about 4.30 Central Time. Until 5.30-ish Central Time. We may run a little longer depending on callers. We would like to eventually get back to the 90-minute format that we used to use. Uh, we're still working on phone solutions. For now, we're taking calls uh, via Skype. And the Skype handle is right there. Skype, the atheist experience, all one word, no spaces. Do not call that uh, Skype address. Just send a message to it. We've got a call screener who will then make outgoing calls to connect. Uh, and... Oh, what else was there? Was there, were there events that I needed? No, there was nothing I needed to announce. So I'm going to be here for the next couple of weeks, and then I'll be gone the last part of December. Um, and we're, we're still working on phone solutions, but we are now three cameras and lights and streaming and decent yeah. Internet access. And it's, it's, it's different and improved every single time, yeah. and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of work behind the scenes on the show and a lot of improvements, and uh, it's getting there. Yeah, so pay attention to the credits list. It's going to roll at the end of this, the end of the show. Uh, you can email tv at atheist-community.org. And instead of thinking me and Don and whatever, whoever the co-hosts are, you can thank all the people behind the scenes who help make the show happen. Uh, eventually, you know, we've got a green screen. We can uh, make this look like a more... Uh, professional and less uh, less homey. Yeah, but you know, I kind of like it. I kind of like the homey aspect. Of it. Right. So I'm Matt Dillahunty. Joining me this week, Don Baker. Welcome. Good to be here. And you want to talk about Christian Detector? A Christian Detector. Mm. Right. Yeah, I'm taking a little break from the Failure series today. Uh, there was an article um, uh, concerning uh, Jeb Bush and and. Uh, um, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, yeah. yeah, and they they you know had they were commenting on the Syrian refugee crisis, and there's this question of you know having other countries take in these these uh, refugees since uh, Syria is pretty pretty uh, screwed up um, in lots of different ways, and a number of these candidates and governors and such have, have said, uh, hey, uh, we're not going to allow any. Any of these immigrants in our state or in our our country, and uh, thankfully, most of these governors don't. And our own governor here in, in Texas has done this too, uh, Ted Abbott. Um, thankfully, these folks don't have the authority to do that. Greg, Greg, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz said they would let in Christian immigrants only, which is which which I w- thought it was kind of amusing because it begs the question of how are you going to tell how what people believe. And this has sort of been a, a, a puzzle uh, uh, 
for for various groups along the you know in throughout history of telling the the the, the heathens from the whatevers right and and it also smacks of Orwellian thought police. And so I thought uh, today I would comment on what what the world would look like with such with a Christian detector and what and how that would you know play out. But on a first, I want to do a little aside, and then we'll take a call, and then we'll come back to the topic. So the aside is Ted Cruz's reasoning is if there were a group of radical Christians pledging to murder anyone who had a different religious view than they we would have a very different national security situation, unquote. So he's saying that, uh, oh, we, our Christians are so wonderful that they don't, they don't have any of this terrorism thing. And, and, you know, then all of a sudden we get this shooting at, at Planned Parenthood in Colorado Springs. And, yes, maybe the motivations of this guy are not so clear, but let's, let's, be, let's be honest, the Planned Parenthood um, outlets uh, or, or clinics and such around the around the United States are really uh, the focus of terrorist campaigns. There are a lot of Christians there, you know, picketing and, and persecuting and, and cajoling the people going in, and and all sorts of all sorts of uh, death threats and things, and actual deaths uh, caused by uh, such such folks, and so. You know, these are these are real. This is real terrorism going on in the United States by Christians, um, and I, I don't don't think you can claim otherwise. <clears throat> and what about anybody, especially like a teenager who makes a church state uh, challenge in their high school, for example? Well, they get they get death threats from the loving Christians in their community, and and they get you know uh, a bit of terrorism there. And what about? teaching children to obey God or God will torture them. And we, we, we talk to adults on this show who are in their 60s and 70s who are still terrorized by this, even though they don't believe in God anymore. And, and, and you know, what, what price are we paying for this sort of thing? So apparently Cruz thinks uh, Christian terrorism is A-OK. Anyway, so I wanted to, to do that aside. Uh, we'll take a call, and then we'll um, come back, and we'll talk about... Uh, a Christian detector throughout history and how we might use a Christian detector today. Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am immediately outraged at at both the bigotry and stupidity in these pronouncements from them. And maybe we'll get to a little bit more of that uh, in a little bit. Uh, there's a great, I don't know if you're going to reference it, but there's no, a, no, a, go ahead. a great effort, episode of West Wing called Shibboleth that talks about Shibboleths, which is basically a, a way to detect whether or not somebody is in the uh, in group or yeah. not. Right. So we've got uh, Brent in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thanks for waiting. Hey. Hey. I just wanted to um, quickly ask why it was that, even though there is no evidence for a higher being. Hello? Seems like we might have lost Brent. Um, if we can try and get him back on, uh, that'd be great. But I, I'd say oh, we, there we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, okay. So even though there is no evidence for a higher being, mm -hmm. how, like, what? what is it that brings you to the conclusion? So or the, if it doesn't? So the, you just gave the reason, okay, 
so atheism, and there's, you know, there's a lot of disagreement and arguing about the term. Some of it's taken place even over Facebook. I've got a debate opponent that I've done two, two debates with and, and we'll talk to more who, who tries to say that atheism only means I believe there are no gods full stop. And I completely disagree with that. Um, but the reason, as you point out, there's no evidence for a higher power supreme being, that is enough to not believe. I mean, the burden of proof is on the claim that there is a God. If the burden of proof hasn't been met and may not, you may be incapable of meeting it, then no one should be believing. The time to believe something is after it's been demonstrated to be true. So generally speaking, atheists are people who do not believe or who reject the proposition. Hopefully they reject it because there's not sufficient evidence for it. That's not everybody's reason. There are people who are, you know, atheists for bad reasons. Um, there are people who are atheists for other good reasons as well. But I, I find it strange that somebody could start off by saying, even though there's not evidence for this, why don't you believe it? I mean, that is the reason. <laughs> I agree, but your stance on X, well, so as an atheist, do you believe in anything other than, um, I guess, the material world? Like, do you believe that something else is held accountable for thought process? Okay, so... Atheism is only about whether or not a god exists. Um, it's entirely possible that someone could be an atheist and believe in something supernatural other than a god. Like ghosts, for example. Uh, yes. Ghosts. And, and there are some atheists who buy into all sorts of bullshit, woo-woo, pseudoscientific claims for bad reasons. I don't. Uh, I am... I don't believe that... I, I do not believe that there's anything other than material world for the same reason that I don't believe in a god. There's been no demonstration that there's anything other than the material world. Um, I, I can't speak for everybody or every atheist, but as a, you know, I'm an atheist because I'm a skeptic, because I evaluate the evidence for the claims about gods and the claims about supernatural. They don't meet their burden of proof. There's no good reason to believe them, and so I don't. And as soon as somebody provides a way, first of all, they'd have to provide a mechanism by which we can investigate and confirm the supernatural, um, because science is limited in the sense that it can't investigate those things without a mechanism, without a method, and nobody's provided a method. So until that happens, I don't see how anybody can rationally accept anything supernatural. They need a method to investigate it, because otherwise it just becomes argument from ignorance fallacies of, hey, you know, I had this experience and there's no other explanation other than it was a ghost or it was a demon or it was a god. Well, the fact that you aren't aware of a, a particular explanation uh, doesn't mean that your conclusion about it is correct. So that, once again, we're back to the time to believe something is after it's been demonstrated. And um, just the last point, do you believe that there's something else that we can hold accountable for our own thoughts other than the material world? Because if the material world is the only, um, or rather what we can observe is the only, um, the only, uh, I don't know really how to put this, uh, 
the only factor or the only thing that causes thought to occur, then it's all predetermined what we think. Okay, so even though that it is a complex mind, that, that's not necessarily true. I mean, just so you're basically uh, advocating for if the material world is all there is, then hard determinism is true. That's not necessarily the case, which is why there have been debates about whether hard determinism is true or soft determinism is true. Uh, there are a bunch of different views on this, but um, it doesn't matter ultimately. So I'm a thinking agent. My brain works and it does things. Okay? It's possible under hard determinism that everything that I've done is dictated by the physical laws of the universe, that there is no such thing as free will as people would normally describe it. That doesn't in any way change the fact that it's this particular meat sack um, that is responsible for those actions, that is responsible for those thoughts. Just like if I've got 20 computers on a network, um, if, you know, I don't know that we would say that any of those computers have any free will or have any way to uh, escape the limitations of the material world. The one that has got the virus on it that is um, polluting the network, that's the one that's responsible, and you go and you fix that. Uh, th there's an entirely uh, practical method by which you can go about evaluating these things. If you appeal to something supernatural, first of all, you don't have any justification for doing so. But if you do, how does that change or fix the problem? Like, for example, if, if I'm not just a brain that is producing consciousness and taking action, but there's actually a soul that is steering this brain, how does that fix any of the problems that you're concerned about? Well, where I was coming from was that our thoughts could or could not be changed or or rather um, manipulated by our choices because, of they, course, there wouldn't be another, they another are. way. Sure, our experience plays into our choices. People, Absolutely. People change their mind. They change their, I'm a different person now than I was 20 years ago. Aren't you? Well, yes. I mean, I don't know how old you are. Assuming you're over 20. <laughs> I would say that you're different from you than you were 20 years ago. Um, and you've changed your mind on things, right? I have. So, or at least I've thought I, or I think sure. I have. Uh, it does, so, so this idea that there's some you that isn't bound by the material world that is responsible for changing your mind, uh, it's a neat idea, but there's no reason to think that it's true, and I don't see how it fixes anything. I don't see how it changes the fact that you know you're the one talking to me, whether you are, whether you were predetermined to call the show today and say the things you were going to say, is a completely separate issue from the impact that your words and this discussion has on each of us and everybody else who's listening. Well, I agree. Okay. It it's not that I don't think that it has an impact. It's just that it it makes it pointless. If. What do you mean pointless? Well, it, if you can't choose, if, if it is an illusion, okay. create, somehow created, okay. then it, it kind of makes it pointless. In my, what, that's how I, I, that's I what that doesn't. I, I'm asking, what do you mean by pointless? Because you've agreed that even without appealing to the supernatural, minds can change. 
And that one of the, I think, well, I don't think we explicitly hit this point, but I think you would agree that one of the ways minds change is by having conversations and debates and by presenting different evidence and, you know, different arguments. Isn't that how minds tend to change? Yeah. Okay. So then even if it was all predetermined, well, first of all, it's, if it's all predetermined, um, then, okay, it was predetermined that you would think it's pointless, at least for now. Um, and that doesn't change a thing. <laughs> you're, you're stuck. So if you don't have the type of free will that you'd like to have, um, or if you do, nothing changes. Because if you don't have it, there's nothing you can do about it, and you either accept it or you don't. And you don't have any, any say in that. Or if you do have it, um, then you're still in this position where you need to be convinced, and minds change. Let me jump in here if you don't yeah, mind. I, I, uh, especially I, in the pointless. I, I think that one of the things that theists struggle with is, um, you know, with God there's a grand purpose with a capital P, a purpose, uh, and everything has meaning, and uh, it's all part of God's plan, and all this good stuff. And without that, <clears throat> you you don't have the, a grand purpose anymore, a grand mm-hmm. capital P, but you have small p purpose where each individual is, making decisions for themselves and and how they impact the world and these sorts of things and the the legacy they leave and these sorts of things and these this is where we this is where we atheists hang our hats um it's it's the impact that we have on the world and the 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 people we love and the and the children we have and these sorts of things these these are the things that are our small p purpose and uh we don't. We don't even have a need for a grand P purpose, and we don't see that there is such a thing. And and, and we wouldn't want it. And I think <clears throat> I think it's true that Brent wouldn't want it either. So, for example, I, I don't know, I don't know how old you are, or what your current situation is, but let's say that you were going to college. Would you rather pick your own major, or would you rather have that assigned to you by the college or the state or your parents? Well, I would like to pick my major. Sure. Now, when it comes time for you to pick a mate, pick a mate, would you rather have that dictated to you by other people, or would you rather, you know, do it on your own? My own. Okay. So, if that's the case, what is the appeal of having a god outside of the universe that has that is dictating a meaning and purpose for everybody? If it's something that we would reject and revolt against oh. in every other circumstance, what makes it good when there's a god doing it? Well, no, I don't believe that. That God, well, that that would make it pointless as well if God was doing everything for you. Well, so so you don't think that God has a plan? Well, no, you can have a plan without without controlling what other people. Does God know everything that's going to happen? I believe. Okay. Yes. Did God create the universe? I believe that. Could he have created a different universe? He could have. Okay, so then he specifically chose to create the universe in which I'm an atheist and you're not. So how did I have a choice in this? If God God picked this universe from other possible universes, how did I have a choice? How is it not the case that God specifically chose the universe in which I would be an atheist? Well, well, that's the whole reason for my belief is because I believe that you are your own individual being and but, but that means that I could do things that God doesn't didn't choose. I yeah. mean Okay. Well then he doesn't I believe, know, does I believe it. I've led myself. I, I don't know exactly what. 
So, see, the thing is, if there's a God who created yes. the universe and who could have created different universes, that means he made a decision to create this specific universe knowing exactly what would happen. Unless he's throwing dice, right? I mean, <laughs> unless he doesn't know what's going to happen, and he said, oh, I could make this universe or I could make that universe, I don't know what's going to happen in either of them, in which case, you know, as Don pointed out, he's throwing dice. But if he chose this particular universe from other alternate universes, knowing what would happen in both of them, then he's the one who made the decisions, not us. Well, I, let, me, let, me, let me skip past that because it, it tends to be a stumbling block. When you say this, all this is pointless, what is, the, what is the purpose of your life and where did it come from? Well, what, what I was trying to um, stress on was that if if I am my own individual being mm-hmm. and I I am experiencing reality okay. because if of course I wasn't my own thinking being I wouldn't know whether or not I was experiencing That's that reality right? would you know it in the other case I mean you're saying if this is true I wouldn't know if something else was true would you, would you know or isn't that just an unknown? So when I'm, you, afraid when I'm, you, not, I'm afraid I'm not catching on. You're, you're afraid what? I'm afraid I'm not catching on to that. Okay. So you're saying if you weren't your own person or steering your own ship or making your own decisions, then you wouldn't know. Well... I'll just I'll, I'll drop this because it, it's confusing. You said that it's pointless, and I still don't know what you mean by that or why. What I mean by pointless is that there's no there's no point in believing that we have our own decisions if there isn't something else that governs over that. Why? Decision. So, to me, that's backwards. So, first of all, whether or not there's any point to believing we make our own decisions, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure w- what you mean by point or why it's important, but when you say that if, there, if we don't make our own, if, there wouldn't be a point to this if we didn't make our own decisions, would there be a point to it if we did? Yes. What would the point be? The point is that you're choosing the path that you lead. Okay. And how is that how is that fundamentally different and why is it valued? Well because if you can't tell can you tell the difference between whether or not you have free will or whether or not you have an illusion of free will? No, that's that's the reason. Okay, so if you question. can't tell the difference between it, then that would seem to imply that from your perspective they are indistinguishable and yet you want to say one of them has a point and one of them doesn't I don't know what, what the point is I mean other, other than saying which is what I think you're saying it would be nice to think that I'm not my actions are not predetermined and it might be nice to think that but I'm only concerned about whether or not it's true 
It would be nice to think I'm going to live forever. It would be nice to think I'm getting ready to win the lottery. Well, I, I don't. I don't really want to know what what's nice to think. I'd rather know what it is definitely. Okay. I. I me too. Good I'd love you. to know yeah, what's I, true. Yes, sir. So. If you admit that you can't tell the difference, you have no way to tell which of these two scenarios is true, then you can't have any good reason to believe one over the other. So your position must be, I don't know. Yes. Okay. So So how can you be a theist? Well, that's it's because I I believe that there is. Okay. Can you? How do you tell the difference between a universe that is theistic and a universe that is not theistic? You you can't. That's, okay. So if you can't tell the difference, I don't think that you can. If you can't tell the difference, then what justification can you have for believing that it is a theistic universe? That you are. Well, I'll help you out. You can't. If, you, if, if you're <laughs> acknowledging that you can't tell the difference between two things, then you're acknowledging that you cannot then choose one of those two things and be rationally justified in doing so. You can certainly um, be convinced of something for bad reasons, but if you care about what's true, then you would want to be convinced for good reasons. And if the truth is that you can't tell the difference between these two possibilities, then your position is you shouldn't believe. Right. The honest answer is I don't know. Yeah. Or I can't tell. Mm-hmm. See, the, the atheist position is not necessarily gods are false. There are no gods. Certainly you can have that position rationally about some gods. If they are uh, prone to internal contradictions or their definitions conflict with observations uh, in reality, if they are logically impossible, things like that. But for an unfalsifiable proposition of God, unfalsifiable meaning there's no way to demonstrate that this is false, then you can't be rationally justified in believing it. And that's the atheist position in many cases. I do not believe this because there isn't a way for me to tell that it's true. I know that sounded like I was going to say something else in addition, but I figured it'd be better to stop there. Well, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, come to their theism because they were sort of brought up in that environment, and and, and it, I think it takes some exploration and understanding to to ha- even have pose these questions and ask these questions and, yeah. and, and mull this all over. And it sounds like you're it's, you're sort of in the process of doing that, which is admirable. Yes, that, that's my effort, because mm-hmm. the, the direction that I wanted to steer this in was that we create the, the concepts that we have depending on what we observe. Okay. Is, is that false? I don't. So we create the concepts based on what we observe. I think that that's fair. We observe things. And our brain conceptualizes them, sure. Okay. I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure where to go from there. Yeah, me neither. All right. Okay. Well, hey, do Thanks. you know? Do some more thinking about it. If you have other questions, by all means, feel free to 
to call back. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Brett. Yeah. So who are we going to take next, and, and then I'll do a little bit more? Uh, let's. We'll go ahead and uh, get Allison queued up here. As she, okay. As oh, she's uh, from Austin, and, you know, so are we. Uh, golly. <laughs> Once upon a time. So this show, by the way, I, I've been hosting the show for 10 years. Wow. I, I mean, we're actually old, too. Yeah. We're coming up. It's, we're going to be 11 in March that mm-hmm. I've been hosting the show. Uh, but the show's been on for 18-ish yeah, quite a long time. It's 18, 19. We need to figure out when the 20th anniversary is so we can have a big freaking party. Yeah. Uh, Continuously running, live, call-in show. There were there were gaps for various studio problems, but uh, the early shows weren't live. And eventually we went to taking live calls. And it was just a little public access show from the public access studio. And most of the calls were from Austin at that time. Um, and we got some unusual calls because Austin's a weird town you know, it has has the keep it weird as the the logo and it's a it's a really Leaf interesting mix. yeah <laughs> but uh, in recent years not only have we had you know fewer theistic callers but we've also had fewer and fewer callers from Austin and perhaps even the United States when I look at the caller list right now it's Austin Birmingham England and Gothenburg Sweden so so we're now an international show yeah boy but uh, if we, can, if we can get uh, Allison from Austin on, that would be uh, a pleasure. Yeah, let me do my next little stick here. Uh, yeah. Getting back to Ted Cruz and, and Jeb Bush, uh, what, what, how would history be different if there were a Christian detector? Well, let's imagine we had a, a, such a device at, at various types of time, times in history, and how, how would the world be different? Well, if it had been invented before 4000 CE or... 400. 400? 400. Uh, the Romans. Uh, this is this is when Constantine came came to power and we established Christianity as the the religion of the of the Roman uh, Roman Empire. Before that, you know, Christian was Christianity was kind of seditious movement. It was uh, considered to be, uh, you know, uh, the people didn't pay tributes to the gods, uh, which was kind of a protection thing, and it was con- considered a kind of a tax that everybody needed to play, pay. And the, you know, the Romans could have wiped out Christianity. But after after Christianity got a foothold, there were various versions of Christianity, all yep. sorts of them, and the one we have today may not even be the right one. You know, it might have been that the correct version of Christianity got stamped out along the way. And well, first of all, we don't, we don't have one today. <laughs> we don't have one today. We, we have a number. There's over a thousand denominations that identify as Christian. Sure. And, and I've said before, you can go right to, down to the First Baptist Church and look at the front row pew. And there are as many different God concepts and views of Christianity yeah, as there are people right. sitting there. So, so yeah. So, uh, w- would we would we even you know would we even have anybody that, that that had the correct version of Christianity, or what what does that even mean? Given that we there's all sorts of different shades. Well, after Christians rose to power, the Christians would have maybe used this Christian detector uh, to uh, to separate out the pagans or. When it, when it came time to exterminate the Cathars, uh, instead of killing killing Christians and the Cathars, they could have separated them out and had a little less uh, less fallout there. Um, during the witch hunts times, they they might have been able to you know find the the, the the witches using this Christian detector. Perhaps I don't know. Maybe maybe there have been less killing there. Um, we've had fourteen hundred years of persecuting Jews, and, and uh, you know, very, through various, various times in history, separating Jews from Christians has been very important. You know, like in the Renaissance, uh, there was uh, there was uh, you know, convert or die for, for a lot of Jews, or not the Renaissance, but before that, I'm sorry, uh, during the Inquisitions and all that. 
Uh, what about uh, telling Protestants from Catholics in the, in the, during the Thirty Years' War, which was one of the most destructive religious wars in, in, in history? And uh, it might have even been helpful during the Holocaust to separate out the Jews. So, so um, a lot of this is not good, right? A lot of this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, feeding into holy wars and, and how, would, how would we... Uh, you know, would we do? Would we, would we have done better to separate out the, the the different beliefs or not? So let's let's go ahead and take our call. We've got Allison on, right? Yeah. The other interesting thing about that is, um, let's say we could invent an actual Christian detector. Mm-hmm. I think that most Christians would be afraid to point it at themselves. I'm kidding. That. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Damn it! I Damn jumped it. all over his line. So we'll talk to Allison here in Austin. How are you doing? Hi, how are you guys? Doing pretty well. Um, so I'm a new atheist. I just uh, I used to be a Methodist, and about a year ago, I uh, looked at all the evidence, became an atheist. Congratulations, and, sparkly um, new. Uh, excuse me. Sparkly new. Sparkling new, exactly. Uh, and my sister is actually an atheist as well. Uh, well, more agnostic, and she's about to have her first baby. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, wondering, like. We were pondering if we should, uh, we're not going to raise her in the church, and we were wondering, how do you keep religion out of explaining to a child that death is okay? Ah, so I, I, I'll, let, I'll let Don chime in on this in, in half a second here. I think religion has poisoned all discussions about death and life and, thing, and, and the relation between the two, and have built up a a kind of theater of bad expectations that in an attempt to make things easier actually make it worse by mm-hmm. you know this idea that oh well you know I've I've been in an estranged relationship with one of my parents and now they've died uh but it's not over I'll get a chance to you know meet them again and talk in heaven and make amends assuming you know that we're all going to the same place um what it does is it it's an I think this attempt to get rid of our grief is a bad idea mm-hmm. because the grief process and coping with a loss is something real. Funerals are not for the dead. Funerals are for the, the living that knew the dead. This, this is, you know, you, you, some people will throw funerals uh, and and have a party and stuff like that. Um, I don't care what you do with me after I'm dead. Do whatever, it, whatever you need to do uh, to get on with life and kind of, you know, not be mired in in a sense of loss. But if we were instead were to teach people from the beginning, not that there is an afterlife or that, uh, you know, somebody on high is watching and will have a chance to make amends, but as far as we know, we're all going to get one shot at life. We have no idea how long it's going to be. We don't know when the end is coming. And that given this scenario, the best thing we can do is live the best life we can and cherish the people that we, you know, that we cherish. And when they're lost, that it is okay to be sad. You've lost something. And that the good times that you've had with them um, are not necessarily going to outweigh the loss, but they can um, kind of diminish some of that loss. I Last time I talked about this, I, I talked uh, to a little girl or I talked to her father, she was there in the room, um, about, you know, if you go to a party, 
You know the party's going to end at some point. You also know that maybe you're going to have to leave the party before it's actually over, something Christopher Hitchens referenced, which I thought was beautiful. Um, if you spend the entire party anxious over when you're going to have to leave or when the party's going to be over, you're not going to enjoy the party as much as if you recognize this party's going to end at some unknown moment for me, and the best thing I can do is enjoy it and, and have the best party that I can. Yeah, that's, that's actually really beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. I would add, um, you know, kids often um, get very wrapped around the axle about death, um, you know, as, at a particular age. And uh, I think it's part of it is uh, they might be experiencing a loss of a pet or grandma might be dying or that sort of thing. And they might be very afraid of what that means. And um, I think I think the thing to do is to reassure them, reassure the the child that it's, it's you know part of life, and um, and and as you say, uh, Matt, uh, you're you're best to to make make the most of what time you have because your time may be short, and and you're not going to be tortured or or, or in feeling pain afterwards. Uh, it's just it's just uh, you're going to be gone. And, uh, and you will live on in the memories of the, the people you've touched. I think later on, as they come to grips with it more, you can begin to talk about how, in some instances, uh, death is a gift. Yes. That people, you know, there are people who whose life uh, experience is so mired in pain and anguish that death could, in fact, be a gift, which is why I'm uh, absolutely supportive of death with dignity uh, and other causes like that. The, the party analogy I, I like because they get it because they're going to go to birthday parties. And it also gets, lets you teach another point. There, there are people who are afraid that without the idea of an afterlife, this idea of let's enjoy the party necessarily devolves into hedonism of, oh, screw everybody else, I'm going to do what's right for me. And the party allows you to point out that you should enjoy it and one of the things that you should work to do is not ruin the party while you're there. Because if you are at the party and you decide to start throwing things around the room because you know that's what you feel like doing, you're going to be asked to leave and your party is over. <laughs> and that there are other people at the party who want to have a good time too, and it's much better for us to work together to have a shared pleasant experience than it is for us to sit there and argue because that ruins the party as well. Amen. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just been really difficult for us to conceptualize coming from a theist background exactly how to, you know, explain it to a kid in a way that isn't just like it's over, it's done with, you know, it's sad, but you know, get over it essentially is what uh well, we this having is, trouble with. You know, this is part and parcel of I think being a, a non-theist is is dealing with the reality as it is, and um, you know, maybe, maybe you, maybe there's a better version of a fairy tale out there that that would be a more candy-coated version of what you'd like to have happen. But um, you know, I guess if we have beliefs, it's it's that we want to understand the world as it is and take it as it is, and and good and bad, and and you know, mm -hmm. sometimes there's bad, and you know, sometimes death can be good if if somebody's really suffering. Um, so. 
it's it's just part of part of the part of the party. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the nice things that you know, it's not just you, you when when you lose someone that you care about, you have suffered a loss. You what you're regretting is that you're not going to have more time for them to influence your life, looking at how they've already influenced your life, how, you know, if you surround yourself with people who make you a better person, who educate you about certain things, who give you a new perspective on things, who are there to, to kind of help be your checks and balances when you as a fallible human being would have made a horrible mistake, uh, it is a loss that they're not going to be able to do this anymore, but I'm grateful for the people who have filled that role while they were there. You know, I, I have only one grandparent still living, um, and the others uh, who have died, my family think that they're in heaven and they'll see him again. I can't say that that's not true. I just don't happen to believe it. But I'm grateful for the impact that they had on my life prior to that. I'm sad that, you know, I get to go home for Christmas and I'm only going to get to see one of them. But I'm happy that I at least still get to see one of them and interact for a little while longer. Um, and while I miss the others, uh, the impact they had on my life and, and helping to form who I am, um, that's, that's valuable. And it's, it takes some effort to be okay with that. But I think the biggest reason people have problems being okay with it is because religions have absolutely poisoned the way we think about it. And if instead we begin, you know, with with a child who's been raised to look at this in a much more, you know, rational, secular fashion, uh, I think that that uh, grief may may for many people be more manageable. Right. And everybody's and, different. So. And, and religions play on the fear thing, and that's just just really brutal, especially I think for for yeah. kids. Uh, you know, if you if you it, 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 the the lesson becomes, you know, if you're if you're not right with God, you're going to be tortured, you know, when you die, and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and you're going to go to a bad place, and these sorts of things, and that's just that's just horrible. It's a horrible thing for anybody, I think, to to get that sort of moral lesson. Um, it's much better to say, well, you know, you're 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 going to end, and yeah. you're not going to feel any pain. But I don't think any you know, I don't think any of my grandparents are in heaven, but I also don't think any of them are in hell. Uh, yeah. And as we're talking about a Christian detector today, uh, my grandparents were all identified as Christian, but they had different beliefs. And everybody wants to go to... How many times have we been to a funeral where the, the, the religious officiant says, well, you know, it really sucks, but this person's burning forever in hell. And, and uh, I mean, they, they just don't say that. The default presumption that they do for everybody, even though they, they know from their own doctrine that it can't possibly be true... Mm-hmm. is that they, they either talk about they are in heaven or we can hope that they will be in heaven, you know, and, and we'll use the hope thing instead of saying, you know, this person was a complete piece of crap uh, who, <laughs> who rejected the church and is now going to burn forever in hell. The only people doing that are Westboro Baptist Church. Yep, and I definitely am glad I don't identify with them anymore. So. <laughs> So thanks so much for, for calling. Uh, I appreciate it. And, you know, good luck with that. And they're all, by the way, they're also really good uh, secular parenting books. I know Dale McGowan uh, has written one or two of them. So you can... Uh, there's a website. You can look that up. Uh, there's a number of different websites. Uh, Dale's a great guy and has a lot of good information um, on, on raising kids without religious uh, dogma and, and imagery and 
So good luck right. in your adventure. Sounds sounds wonderful. Having Thank a, you. Hopefully I can make it to a meeting. I live in the Austin area. So. Great. Well, we'd, we'd love, love to, to see you. you. Which, by the way, I'll do a reminder as uh, as we let her go and we can go ahead and uh, queue up Ludwig in Sweden. Um, after the show's over, the some of the people, folks get in, involved in the show get together and are going to Threadgills uh, on Lamar, uh, the original one, the, the one where uh, Janis Joplin actually worked uh, years and years and years ago. Um, that we're we're over here in about fifteen minutes, give or take, and I would expect folks to start arriving over there a little after six. Uh, any atheist or atheist friendly people are welcome to come over and uh, and meet folks. I won't actually be there today, but um, there will be the folks behind the scenes. Some of them will be. Yeah, there. We've got so a good. halfway decent audience here today. It's yeah. so great. So we've got uh, Ludwig in Sweden. How are you? Or I think we do. Ludwig? Ludwig, right. are you there? Well, I can talk about this yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we'll go ahead and through the Christian detector while we get that set up. Yeah, so uh, we talked about the Christian detector throughout history. Well, today we might actually use it uh, to expose uh, demagogue politicians, like uh, a lot of folks uh, claim oh. to be believe in God. We'll be right to you, Ludwig. Um, okay. Uh, we might expose them as as what they are, as they're 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 sort of leading people on, perhaps. Uh, as, as Matt alluded to, you know, if we were to take one of these Christian detectors into a church, we <laughs> might discover that hey, there's not many Christians in here, and hey, the the minister isn't isn't Christian. <laughs> we actually have the the clergy project uh, <laughs> helping people who are in the clergy come out as as atheists and or, or non-believers and. And find other roles uh, where they don't have to, they don't have to lie. Those sorts of things. And and if we were to scan this across the United States, we might discover well maybe the Fred Phelps family is the only true Christians that, <laughs> there, and nobody else really qualifies or something. You know, they're certainly convinced that that's the case. They, they certainly right. Um, and and I think Christianity would lose much of its power because it would bring home to the fact that uh, there there are many different versions of Christianity and and they all can't be right, um, and and all of these things that I think atheists uh, see pretty pretty easily uh, abroad. If we were to see uh, you know uh, ISIS or, or the Taliban uh, ha- have this Christian detector, there there might be some horrible things consequences for for folks in in Syria or folks in in, in countries that have mixed. Uh, Religions and the people sneaking over to give away Bibles in China and other countries where it's not permitted. There you go. There's would be exposed one. at the gate. You'd there you go. At least turn around and go back. <laughs> Take your useless book that you know. If you want to show up with food and say you're giving away food, do that. But you don't have to attach a Bible to every sandwich you hang out. Right. So the idea of a Christian detector is kind of a pipe dream. Uh, Cruz and Bush are just using the idea, I think, to pander to their base. And for those Christians in the audience, would you pass? Are you? Are would you? Would you be a true Christian or not? Uh, now, <laughs> go ahead. The thing that the thing that got me most about this. So Jeb Bush was actually asked, you know, how would you go about actually telling who's a Christian and who's not? And he like, oh shucks, I think you can tell. You know, it's it's funny to watch his body language as he's kind of dead. Well, I think you can tell this. And they, you know, talk about politicians not answering a question. The truth is, until you can actually read minds, you have no way of doing this. Doctrinally, if any of these politicians that are claiming they can tell who's a Christian or not, if any of them were quote-unquote true Christians, and I'm putting on my no true Christian, not quite a fallacy hat, at least doctrinally, God is the only one who can tell 
tell who is or isn't a Christian. It's entirely up to him. He's the only one in their doctrine who can actually know the mind. And they would all identify this because they know there are non-Christians in their church. They know that Christians throughout the world have been exposed as not good enough Christians or in various scandals or other stuff. This idea that we can't could actually tell who is is or isn't a Christian um, is not only nonsense, it is bigoted and unfucking constitutional. Yep. You don't get to give me your cold, your hungry Christians only. <laughs> That's not what we're about. Yeah. Religious freedom. We're a country of immigrants. Is right. in there. And and we already, you know, I remember when uh, Obama was running for office the first time and there were people like, oh my gosh, he's a Muslim. Oh my gosh, he's a Muslim. And um, on CNN, uh, I forgot her, Ms. Brown, I forgot, I've forgotten her first name, uh, pointed out uh, he's not actually a Muslim, but so what if he was? There's no constitutional prohibition. We have religious freedom here. And as a Muslim, he could run for and win pres- the presidency and serve that way. So to hear these pandering asshats turn away needy people who are trying to escape atrocities, and instead of instead of saying their, what perhaps their their actual motivations are, just say, oh, well, we'll take the Christian ones. Well, screw you, buddy. You should take the atheist ones, too, and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Scientologists, if there are any coming from Syria. Because I think that what happened here is they realized that as they started making pronouncements about the danger of all the terrorists who are going to sneak over with the refugees, um, where they've blown up the numbers to ridiculous proportions under any reasonable statistical model, that they realized, hey, this isn't selling as well. It kind of makes us look a little fear-mongery. So instead, we'll pander to the religious base and say that we'll happily take the Christians. Well, bite me. Personally, I'd like to bag up all of the Christians like you who aren't in favor of religious freedom and ship your ass to Syria. But I don't get to decide who lives in the United States, and neither do you. And on that note, we'll go to Lou Vegan Sweet. <laughs> Who doesn't live in the United Hello. States is probably happy about it. Hey, welcome. Hello? Yeah, yes. you there? Thanks. Thanks for waiting. Ah, cool. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I was just um, wondering about, like, uh, how do, do you guys believe in objective morality? Depending on the definition, yes, I do. I'm going to let you take that. You know, yeah, Don, Don doesn't want to go near it. So my 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 view on this is um, that provided you you begin with a definition of something along the lines of well-being, Sam Harris has, has presented it that way. I did as well in a number of talks that there are objective truths to be discovered as physical beings in a physical universe. My the consequences of my actions are dictated by physical laws. And their impact on others is also dictated by physical laws. And so there are objective truths to be discovered. The primary objection that people launch to this version is, yes, but why should we care about well-being? You haven't given me any reason why we should care about that. And my answer is, I don't give a rat's ass. I really don't, because we do care about that. And saying, why should we care about it? Is, is basically a big red herring. It's a way of avoiding the actual issue. The people who don't care about that, 
uh, tend to remove themselves from the gene pool or remove themselves from society. Um, and if you don't think that, that is what counts as morality, then let's set aside the label and give it another label and actually talk about the substance of the position rather than focusing on the label. All right, all right. So it's it's a form of uh, utilitarianism. It, it is a form of utilitarianism. It's it's a kind of a, a pragmatic. Um, it's a recognition that we make decisions. Okay, we we evaluate things. So in any given situation, there is a finite set of actions that I could take, and some of these okay. actions will have terrible consequences, and some of them will have relatively neutral consequences, and some of them will have good consequences, both for myself and for other people. And the only thing that we need to have is the ability to compare those consequences to figure out what set of one or more actions represent the pinnacle for that particular situation. So one thing that one point of confusion, which I'll clear up real quickly, when I talk about objective morality, I am not talking about universal moral absolutes. My morality okay. is still a situational morality because I recognize okay. that in this situation, a particular action would be moral, and in a different situation, that action might be immoral. For example, after uh, Hurricane Katrina, there were people who were you know, stealing supplies from stores. Well, if you stole a supply from a store, uh, when, when there wasn't this crisis going on, it would absolutely be immoral, or it would be viewed as immoral, generally speaking. I guess I should avoid the absolute thing, but I'm still talking about within the situation. When you do it after Katrina, all of a sudden it doesn't have the same moral tag at, attached to it. As a matter of fact, it may be the most moral thing you can do is to take supplies that were going to go to waste anyway, even if they belong to somebody else, to help people survive to rebuild that community. Mm, okay. Uh, what about Don? Do you have a similar view? Or... Oh, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, if you want to talk about an objective morality, it's it's uh, where would that come from? Uh, there is there is no sort of objective perspective on 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 the universe uh, since there is since we don't believe in a god. Uh, where would that come from? So I, I don't you know exactly. It, yeah, so that's kind of where I would what I would add. And, and my position is that the only objective standard that I am aware of, that I can appeal to, that other people on the planet happen to agree with, are the physical facts about reality. It, uh, when, when, I say, when I say that something, when it's objective, I mean it is not subjective. It, it, that means that it's not just a matter of personal opinion for an individual. It is an assessment of the, the consequences of actions, and those things are dictated by the laws but of the I, universe. I, I don't know if you can say that there is any like objective facts about reality because there are no objective reacts perceived by a subject so okay so I, I, I wholeheartedly reject that idea um, because basically what that is it, it denies that there's any shared reality it devolves into solipsism I have three cameras sitting in front of me right now that's an objective fact about reality that we can investigate not only with my own subjective senses, but other people's. And if the response is that I'm only, I only have access to other people's opinions because that comes through my senses as well, now you're into the, uh, you're basically just denying that there's anything about reality. And no, I, no, no, no. Okay. Not denying, just saying that it's, 
it's it's not the same thing as denying it because you're I'm basically saying that it's denying it would would uh, it's basically saying that you can't perceive the the absolute reality. I it's don't not care. The same as so, denying that it exists. So I don't see any path to confirming that the reality I experience is the absolute reality. Uh, exactly. Okay, this is what I'm saying. There, I don't see any solution to the problem of hard solipsism. I'm, I don't have any way to show that I'm not a brain in a vat. I don't have any way to show that I'm not living in the matrix. But I am stuck dealing with the reality I experience, whether it's the ultimate reality or not. And if you and I are in agreement that we're both experiencing this reality, then it is objective within that scope. This, this idea that object, objectivity only applies if there is access to absolute truth is just bizarre to me because you could be a figment of my imagination, or at least I can't show you're not. But I, I have no reason to think that that is the case, and I still have to operate as if you're not because acting the, as if you are a figment of my imagination has consequences. Okay, yeah, true. But I, um, that was a bit of a sidetrack. I basically yeah. wanted to call just because uh, I'm a theist and I believe that... Uh, uh, objective moralities uh, um, cannot exist without a god. So basically, how, okay. I just wanted to. So hear how your, can, how can it exist with a god? Because if there's a god who is the arbiter of what's moral or not, can he change his mind about what's moral? Um, my position is not. Uh, it's more. It it's more that. I believe that objective morality exists, and I believe that it cannot exist without a God. So therefore, okay, I understand that's what you exist. think. I'm asking yeah. you, how can it exist with a God? Yeah, but but I, I don't have to account for that because oh, I okay. That well, it if you're not exist. interested in accounting for what you actually believe, then I'm not interested in continuing the discussion because th that's what you're doing is avoiding it. You you think yeah. that there, you think that there's an objective morality, and you think that this yeah. can only come about if there is a God. Now, you haven't demonstrated that it can only come about through God. You've just asserted it. And you have not demonstrated that it's possible for it to come about with a God. But, but listen, if, I, if, I, if objective morality exists, and I can demonstrate that it cannot exist within uh, a world without God. Yes, then, but you haven't done either of those things. No, no, I know, I know. So basically, I, I no, I, I think you you provided an account for, like you you made a reasonable argument, and uh, so I and and so I don't know what I, I, think. I, I okay, I hate not knowing but, what uh, what you think now and continuing to evaluate it. Uh, that's pretty good. The, the reason I was asking the questions is because from I've had this conversation a lot, and the objections that theists tend to launch against a non-theistic universe with respect to morality are not in any way solved by a theistic morality. Because, so their, their view is there, there is an objective morality, which they can't demonstrate, but they're convinced. Okay, cool. But the second part of the view is that there can only be an objective morality if there's a God. Now, in order for that to be true, it must be true that objective morality exists, which they haven't demonstrated, cannot exist without a God, and it must also be demonstrated that it can 
exist with a God. And this is why when we talk about God models, if, you know, hey, is uh, slavery immoral? Well, there are religions that were okay with slavery, including Christianity and the Bible. But let's just, let's just go to an outrageous example. It would be immoral, I think, uh, for Don to lop off my head in the middle of the show. I think almost everybody on the planet, almost, would agree that that would be viewed as immoral. If there is a God who is the arbiter of what's moral, then that God either can say lopping off Matt's head is moral, or he can't say that. And this is where we get to the Euthyphro dilemma. Is something moral because God says so, or does God say so because it's already moral? If something's only moral because God says so, then God could say that lopping off my head is moral, and it would be the case. He could, you know, A, it's moral for you to kill your kids. It's moral for you to rape people. And that would actually be the case. Almost everybody objects that, the simplistic divine command theory. So instead, the other option is that God says that it's moral because it is. And if it's moral, then it, and it's not tied to what God says... Then you don't need God. Then you don't need God, and you can discover the truth about morality, uh, irrespective of whether God exists. Hmm. But anyway, we've got a, a couple of theist callers we want to try to get to here before we close out. I appreciate the call. Thanks All so right. much. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Who are we going to take next, Mr. Matt? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Um, let's let's go with Thomas in Utah. I had a little bit of a follow up while we we're kind of waiting for Absolutely. that to happen. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks. Um, on, on the moral questions, the, the fact that there's so much uncertainty uh, of what are the consequences of my actions and yeah. stuff, I think that paralyzes people. Yes. And, and, they, and they just are, are sort of unwilling to make a decision under the idea that if I make a decision that's bad, I've caused something, I've done harm. And uh, I, I think that that kind of clouds a lot of that reasoning that you, you gave. Um, there, there's a frustration yeah. with... I could take this action, but I don't have perfect knowledge of the universe, so I don't know what all the consequences That's right. are. That's right. There's also decision paralysis, where if you have like too many options, you can't make a decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And both of these frustrations are solved, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, by appealing to a god, because now you've got somebody who does have perfect knowledge of the universe right. and, and is not going to be crippled. Right. It's not going to be crippled by decision. Uh, <laughs> Paralysis. Giant computer. And if that's the person who's dictating uh, what you think is right or wrong, then you, basically it's a way of avoiding the difficult work of thinking about morality. Right. But anyway, anyway uh, Thomas and Aura Mutaw, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi. Hey. Um, okay, so I'm trying to think about how to say this. Um, as of right now, I'm currently. Um, I'm currently a, a Mormon, mm-hmm. um, but I guess I don't know how to say it. Like, I guess you could say that I've become convinced that it's not true or not necessarily true or whatever. Um, and as far as like coming out to my parents about it and my family, um, I really haven't been able to keep my mouth shut about it. Um, <laughs> And so I, I ended up, well, my dad, I don't know how, I guess over time my dad kind of was wondering, you know, what was going on with me and 
Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I'm really nervous. Sorry. No, it's fine. And there's there's nothing to be nervous about. One of the things is that you say, you know, you're a Mormon, but you don't believe it's true. And and for some right. people, they would immediately jump on that and say, oh, well, if you don't believe it's true, then you're not a Mormon. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that because I get it. Because there is a cultural association as well. I am part of a family that is Mormon. I have been attending a Mormon church. Uh, the, you're, right. First of all, you are not remotely alone. Uh, we, I, I've gotten emails from other uh, former Mormons and people who are stuck in, in positions where they no longer believe the religion of that their family holds and the one that they're currently involved in, uh, but they don't know what to do. In your case, uh, when, you, when you say that you can't, can't keep quiet about it and it's been causing problems, uh, what... So, so I guess I, I'm looking for kind of what is the problem that you think we might have some help for? Um, so I was asking my dad, and I've been watching, you know, your guys' show a lot, and um, it's really helped me understand that um, it's helped me understand that there isn't, I guess, there isn't absolute certainty about religious claims. Or, and or, or I would say about anything. I'm not convinced that there's absolute certainty about anything. Um, okay. But when it comes to religious claims, I don't even think there's reasonable certainty. Uh, or I don't even think it, you know, like when you when you are looking at a murder trial or, or any number of, of different, there's different standards uh, in, of evidence required to reach a conviction. There's, you know, to a reasonable, or beyond a reasonable doubt, to a reasonable certainty, there's to a preponderance of the evidence. When it comes to religions... I, I don't, not only do I not think any of those have been met, I would, if I was the judge, I would throw the case out for, for cause, for lack of cause before we even got around to putting it on trial because this is nothing but um, unfounded assertions. A whole bunch of people believe that this is the case and they can offer nothing substantive. Um, so I don't even think that the trial should be brought. Unfortunately, we live in a you know, a world where a lot of people do, and so you have to evaluate those things. Right. Um, one of the, I guess one of the biggest arguments that my dad had um, was that he was kind of telling me, well, if the church is honestly what it says it is, and the way that we can know if God is real or that the church is true or anything, um, then it would be through the method that God has set, you know, um, saying that you... You know, you have to pray to know whether he's there and that he loves you and that the church is true. And, you know, if he's honestly there, then he will let you know through the Spirit. Okay. Um, so I guess the first question is, how could you confirm that that's actually happened? Well, okay. And I asked my dad this, and he said that he said that the Spirit would basically be telling you that what you're having a spiritual experience about um, is a spiritual experience. Does that make sense? Well, I, I, I would say, I would say, no, it doesn't make sense, except that I, I kind of get, you know, what his point is. Um, the question is, first of all, I don't know how to tell that a I don't, I don't know what a spiritual experience is. I don't know how to verify that somebody, including myself, has actually had one. Um, 
there's doesn't seem to be. It, it, by the way, it sets it up so that there can be no independent verification. It becomes an individual appeal to a divine revelation, and. Okay. You know, going back to Hume, revelation is necessarily first person and to everybody else it's hearsay. So your revelation does me no good. My revelation does you no good as far as having a foundation. But I think it's worse than that because my revelation doesn't do any any good on its own about telling me what's actually true. And the argument is, ah, God is perfect. And if God is perfect, he will reveal himself to you in a way that you can, in fact, be confident uh, and rationally justified in believing. I don't know how that works either, because at a minimum, if we were to begin to accept that this supernatural realm exists, um, under many of the models, there are there's a devil and demons who are also supernatural and powerful who are out to deceive you. So even if you had an experience that was in fact supernatural, even though you couldn't confirm it, I don't know how you could confirm the truth of it if there is something out there that's tr- that is more powerful than you that is trying to deceive you, right? Which is why, um, which is why, uh, which is why a number of Christian denominations view Mormonism as a cult, <laughs> and why they view Catholicism as a cult, and why they view basically my religion's the right one and all the rest of them are cults. And most of these are saying this about most of the others that. If there was a God, why would he pick this individual method of revelation which cannot be verified and is prone to abuse under his own system? And basically there's an argument against theism called the argument from inconsistent revelation, which is all of these people are running around convinced that they have had a revelation from God. They are all convinced that it's true. And all of these revelations are in conflict with one another. By a reductio ad absurdum argument, you can show that they can't all be right, but they could all be wrong. Right. And if if you're not in a position to be able to tell which of them is actually right, then the only rational position is to reject all of them not to say they're false, but to say, I cannot believe that they're true. Right. So I guess my last question is, I guess I don't completely understand what independent verification means in this context. Oh, it's really easy. Hey, Don, how many cameras are in front of us? There are three. See, I've just verified it from somebody other than myself. Um, okay. that, that's how we go about, so reality it's been said that reality is, or the, uh, the things that are true, or reality is what doesn't go away when you stop believing in it, but also <laughs> that reality is what we agree uh, is there. So I could, you know, maybe stop believing the cameras, they'd stay there. But the other aspect is that reality is what we agree on. The way science goes about exploring the world, it doesn't make proclamations about truth. It doesn't say, oh, X is true. It builds models which are probabilistic. And that are tentative, tentative, based on the information, and it constantly seeks independent verification. Hey, I just did this experiment, and these are the results I got. Would you go and do the same experiment without me and see if you get the same results? And if we continue to get consistent results, now all of a sudden we have a model that appears to be consistent with reality and is supported by evidence. 
That doesn't happen with religion. As a matter of fact, as I, as I pointed out on a Facebook comment yesterday, creationists do not try to prove the truth of creationism. They spend their time arguing against evolution, as if that would prop up their belief. Theologians are not experts on gods. Theologians are experts on what other theologians have said about gods. <laughs> they have no expertise. They have no demonstration of truth. And instead of trying to demonstrate the proof of theism that they're doing, they just assert it or they come up with unfalsifiable claims about it. And then they spend their time, as you've heard from callers and seen in uh, uh, debates, saying, ah, oh, on the view of atheistic naturalism, this can't account for it. We can't give an account for objective morality. We can't give an account for whether or not we're a brain and a vat. We can't. They, they just basically say, here's all these things that we wish were true, that we're not brains and vats, that we have an objective standard. You can't account for those things. My view can, therefore I win. That doesn't confirm their view at all. They're not... Theologians have no demonstrated expertise in anything except what other theologians have said. Okay. <laughs> the, the, emperor, the emperor has no clothes, and they're trying to redefine the word naked so that it doesn't apply to their emperor. But on that note, Thomas, I, I appreciate it. I, I wish you good luck. By all means, you, you can also email tv at atheist-community.org uh, or call back again if you have other questions. Um, good luck with your coming out process. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you. We're running a little long, but I would like to take John in London if we can real quick. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Let's get, let's get John queued up. Did you... Uh, so on your Christian detector thing... Yeah, kind of, kind of went through the topic, but... Uh, a few things, but... I mentioned the episode of uh, West Wing, which is called Shibboleth, and Shibboleth is a way of secretly or not quite secretly denoting an in-group from an out-group. It comes from uh, a Hebrew word, which was in the story, and I think it's judges. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but it's, there's, it's, it's in the Bible. A certain group could pronounce it the proper way, and the, and the outsiders could not. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's basically a secret code word. Became a test yeah. of, of that that sort. Yeah, but there's a there's a great episode of The West Wing that deals with this, and it what it's basically showing both this this episode and what we talked about today is that this idea that you can tell what someone believes or the veracity or not the veracity, but um, how sincere they are about something, um, it, it's all mind reading. It, mm -hmm. I don't. I think that what some of them are doing is saying, oh, these refugees. We could show that they have identified as Muslims for their entire life, so they're not Christians, and we will deny them. And anybody who claims to be a Christian will have a test for it. There's this really cool meme running around the Internet right now, which is a, a, a written test for whether or not you're actually a Christian. And it starts with, you know, like, are you a Christian? And then the second question is, like, did you lie about the first one? <laughs> it's hilarious. Look, uh, you might find it on Facebook and all over the place. But... <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll finish up uh, this episode with John from London. Thanks for waiting. John, it's yeah. nice to talk to you both. Great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'd like to talk about Adam and Eve, that uh, God designed them to live forever on paradise earth, which is uh, different to what Christendom teaches. Okay. Um so you're saying that your your belief 
is that God designed them to live forever on paradise earth. Yeah, that's right. So, if, why, why, um, why do you believe that? Yeah, well, uh, if um, Adam and Eve hadn't have eaten from tree of knowledge of good and bad, so God said to them, you will die if you eat. And Satan said, "If uh, you will positively not die and that God is lying. But we, uh, we all agree that they would have knowledge of good and bad. That wasn't the question, but it was uh, whether or not they would die. And so uh, it tells us that God actually designed them to live forever as humans. That's why we've got such uh, big brains. Uh, 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 you know, the, the, it's a wisp of the story, and you can interpret it all sorts of different ways. And it has been interpreted all sorts of different ways. Yeah, I... My concern isn't so much what you believe, but why. And it seems that you believe it because this is your interpretation of what's in the book. Uh, well, it's logical as well, isn't it? I mean, well, if, if... I, I, I'm fine with, with that particular apologetic uh, attempt to make sense of the story. My concern isn't whether or not someone can make sense of the story. It's whether or not the story is true. Yeah, that's right. So there's only one truth, and wh whether we know about that or n not is doesn't uh, validate it. Sure. As to the Do truth. you have any way to demonstrate that what you believe is true? Um, well, it will be validated. Our, our knowing the truth now, as human beings, right now, is not the most important thing from God's point of view. Because if it was, how God do you know that? Yeah. Gone, sorry. So, so basically, your, your answer to my question is no. You can't demonstrate that it's true. Uh, well, the only proof that has been provided is very difficult proof, um, like we spoke about last week, which is uh, fulfilled yeah, prophecy. Last, la yeah, yeah. Um, so last week, you said that we would know about this in the future, and I told you to call back in the future when we knew. Do we know now? Um, no, that wasn't my point. My point was. I, I don't care. No, I don't I care. Yeah. I wasn't trying to use future prophecy as proof now. Okay. I was trying to say what justification can you what justification do you have right now? That, well, it's that this, deliberately difficult. The justification is the still the fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled That's prophecies have nothing at all to do with the Genesis story. Uh well it it, it is the is it, truth. Is, so, okay. So the Genesis story could be yeah. true or not true, correct? Um, no, it is, there's, there's, there's truth. There's only one truth. I don't care. Is, is it possible for this story... The, the only two possibilities are that this story is in fact true or it's not in fact true, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. I need a way to distinguish between those two possibilities. Pointing to... Let's say that the story is not true. If, if we assume the story is not true, is it still possible that the book could have prophecies that came true? Um, well, I would say that the prophecies have come true. I, that, wow. Okay. I realize that we're, you know, two people separated by a common language, but I'll try this again. Assuming that the Genesis account is not true, is it possible for prophecies in the Bible to come true? 
Uh, okay, I'll go along with it. Yeah, it cool. Is then your appeal to prophecies in no ways demonstrates the truth of the Genesis account. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so since you can't use prophecy to demonstrate the truth of the of the Genesis account, do you have any way to demonstrate that it's true? Well, could I give you an illustration of the point I'm trying to make, just to make it... I'm just... You're calling with this claim, and I'm asking a simple question. Do you have... Now that now that we've excluded prophecy, do you have a method to demonstrate the truth of the Genesis story? No, because then it's we're deliberately done. not... Then we're done. deliberately done that way. Then we're but, done. Uh, Say goodbye to John, everybody. Thanks for calling again this you, week. John. I uh, appreciate it. So this is, uh, we've reached the end of the show, and in a minute they'll roll the credits on all the people who make the show happen. Here's the thing. I, for years, we've, we've talked on this show about we'd like to have conversations with people about what they believe and why, and the why is the bigger point. And if you call in to say, I believe that the Genesis account is true, and you acknowledge that you have no way to demonstrate this, then the conversation is over, because it's indistinguishable from somebody calling in to say, I believe that ancient aliens peopled the earth, and I have no way to demonstrate this. And it's also indistinguishable from people who say that I believe that universe-creating pixies created the universe, but I have no way to demonstrate it. Um, The fact that someone can say, I believe this, and I have no way to demonstrate it, is a huge red flag to show that they do not care about truth. They don't have good understandings of how we go about determining what we should believe. Right. It devolves into therapy at that point instead of instead of a conversation about the real world. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not I'm not here to serve as your therapist for your your sophistry. Uh, um, I I care about what's actually true. And anybody could call saying, there's a story in this ancient book, and I believe that it's true. Could be the Genesis account, could be something else from the Bible, could be from the Quran, could be from the Bhagavad Gita, or any number. Uh, It could be from Mark Twain. I believe that the story is true. Okay, do you have any way to demonstrate it? No. Then you're admitting that you don't actually care about the truth. And that you don't care about good standards of coming to what you believe. I appreciate the fact that you believe it. I don't think that you're lying about believing it. I just think that you're demonstrating that you're irrational. And when we have that conversation and you get to the point where you say, I believe this, I don't have any way to demonstrate it, and that's good enough for me, we're done. Because it shouldn't be good enough for you. It shouldn't be good enough for anybody. That's the entire point of skepticism and critical thinking. It's the entire reason, now we're going back to the very first call of the day, there isn't evidence for it. Therefore, I cannot be rationally justified in believing it. And you shouldn't be either. When when people get upset that atheists are saying that Christians are wrong or Hindus are wrong or Muslims are wrong, it's not that we're saying what you believe is false. We're saying you by your arguments, by your own admissions, acknowledge that you should not believe this because you don't have enough reason and you continue to. And that's where we say you're wrong. And to amplify, you know, even if you come from a community of like believers, that that's you know, reality's not up for a vote here. You know, it does it doesn't matter if you if you have a hundred people that believe the same thing, same kooky thing, you still need to have the evidence. Yep. On that note we'll uh We'll cut out for the show today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to the studio audience. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. We ran a little bit long, uh, but I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I had fun today. So we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. All right. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about gig-speed internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed.